Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. where we celebrate some of the very best writers you may not have heard about yet. I'm Miriam Knight, the publisher of New Consciousness Review, a website and magazine where we review many of the books and films contributing to the global shift in consciousness. With the pace of awakening speeding up, here on Rising Stars, I will be introducing you to two or three of these authors and artists per show especially those who may not have had as many opportunities to be heard, but who offer intriguing information and inspiration. As you listen to our guests, I do hope you'll find a few more pieces to the puzzle of who we are and all we can become. Our first guest is David Ravinus. David began a decades-long fascination with dreams while working as an educational therapist at a mental health clinic in the 1970s. During his this time, he studied with gestalt therapists who were dream experts, and over the course of this study, David was startled to discover that there is far less difference between the dreams that we have at night and the events of our daylight hours, especially events that are unexpected or upsetting. Since then, he has lectured and facilitated workshops in multiple countries across Western Europe and the Americas, and he has now documented his findings in the book Always Dreaming, Gaining Insights from the Metaphors of Our Sleeping and Waking Lives. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. David, do you think dreams have meaning? Oh, there's no question that they have meaning. Uh, they have, uh, they, they are actually an expression for the most part. Well, uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, dreams can be about many, many things, but for the most part, what they are is an expression of a, an, an inward dialogue that's going on. Um, usually in the form of a conflict. If there seems to be something that the dreamer wants to do, has an inclination to do, but for various reasons, there are restrictions, perhaps societal, perhaps parental, perhaps their own uh, censorship restrictions, then this manifests itself within us as a dialogue. And if the dialogue is not resolved, then it will express itself as a dream. Very interesting. There seem to be so many different approaches to analyzing dreams. You know, how does a dreamer go about understanding a dream's message? There's a lot of confusion about that. And the, the most important thing to say is that you have to try to reconcile what's going on outside of yourself with what's going on inside of yourself. And by that I mean, if you take dream symbolisms or the events of a dream literally and you try to deal with your dream as if it were a, a, a literal event then that's where most dreamers are going to get into trouble uh, what i recommend dreamers do instead is that they 
see all of the events, all of the symbols, all of the people in their dreams as if they were aspects of the dreamer themselves. If I may, I'll, I'll give an example here. Please. There, let's say that someone has a, a dream about uh, a conflict with an employer, with their employer. If they were to take this literally and go and confront the employer the next day at work, uh, they might actually be dis- surprised to discover that the, this was the farthest thing from the employer's mind. And in fact, if they press the point, uh, they might actually begin, start a conflict where there had been none before. But if instead the dreamer were to see the employer as a facet of themselves, in other words, their own inner person in charge, then suddenly they are directed to a dialogue that's going on within themselves, this this conflicted sense that they have, that they need to explore something more openly, a conflict that's going on within them. Uh, So there might be a conflict between the aspect of themselves that's in charge and some other aspect of themselves that might want to go uh, do something frivolous or maybe even outlandish. Um, And this dream is trying to express this sense of dichotomy that they have within them, that they need to work on a resolution to this issue uh, more thoroughly. That's the kind of thing that dreams very often are about. Well, I know as my husband is a hypnotherapist that the mind tends to work in metaphors, the subconscious mind, and presumably that's what we are tapping into during dreams. Is that correct? Boy, you you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, that is the language of dreams. Uh, dreams speak almost exclusively in, in metaphoric language. And as a dream analyst, and indeed as I uh, do my teaching of my uh, workshops or, or uh, classes, that's what we work on. How uh, we, we become essentially translators. How how do you how do you interpret these things? How do you change metaphor into the English language? And what people discover is that really this this is not so far fetched uh, because we speak in daily speech, in our normal speech, uh, a great deal more in metaphors than we really realize. And I'll give you a prime example. I said, boy, Miriam, you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Well, so nobody picked up a hammer and and hit any nails. That is an expression, a, a metaphoric expression, that takes an abstract concept and gives it a visual presentation, which makes it much easier to understand. And when I was writing the book, Always Dreaming, one of the things I did was uh, to to try to discover exactly how common metaphoric language is in speech. And I thought, well, maybe I'll come up with 20 or 30 examples. (laughs) Well, without any sort of scientific effort to sit down and do this in a logical or methodical fashion, I came up with 700, uh, and I suspect, and, and these are all common. These are all everyone would recognize every single one of these, uh, and I suspect there are probably literally thousands. Here are a couple of examples. Don't get carried away. 
right? No, nobody's really going to pick somebody up and, you know, move them across the room on their shoulders. That Again, this is, this is a metaphoric representation of an abstract idea. But what now, we... a, a metaphor really is kind of rooted in visual imagery, isn't it? It can be visual, but it need not be visual. It can be auditory. It can use any of the senses. But yes, it takes it takes an abstract idea and and brings it to the sensual level. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is, when we when we say these metaphors, when we say, "Oh, well, don't get carried away." we have become so accustomed to the expression that we lose the impact of the visual image. Whereas in a dream, what you would see would be somebody picking you up and actually carrying you out of the room or out of the house or whatever. I see. And that's what makes it so poignant. That, and and there's, a, there's a reason for that poignancy. The, uh, the poignancy is to try to bring the dream back from unconscious to the conscious level. Ah, so are there daytime events that could be considered dreams? Here's the shocker. All daytime events are dreams. Uh, And that was perhaps the most uh, startling thing of my research uh, as I was working with dreams was the understanding uh, that you can take any event uh, from your daytime and not in the first place, what you're going to do is you're going to treat it literally, of course. I mean, if, if you stub your toe, you, you have to, and it starts bleeding, you have to put a Band-Aid on it. But there is also this metaphoric overlay to all of these experiences where if you have an experience that seems strange or outlandish or um, uh, the, I, I guess the bottom line is unsettling. If you have an experience that's unsettling for some reason, either because it's shocking or because it's totally bizarre uh, or because it repeats, it won't go away. Those are the three categories of important daytime dreams, what I call waking dreams, uh, that are, are worth your while to pay attention to. And the reason they happen in the daytime is because probably the messages have been delivered via the subconscious, via dreams. And if you don't happen to have a hypnotherapist handy, <laughs> there's a possibility that you're not going to remember it. You, there's a, a strong possibility that you won't bring it to the conscious mind. And so, for lack of a better way to explain it, the universe then makes it abundantly clear to you that this is an issue you need to deal with by creating an incident in your life during your daily life, during your awakened state, uh, that you then have a much harder time ignoring. Except, That, yeah, that sounds a lot like synchronicities. Well, that is exactly what Jung was talking about when he brought up the whole concept of, of synchronicity and the um, connective, let's see, what did, what did he call it? The um, a, a something or other connective principle. I've forgotten the exact words, but, but what he meant by that was you have an event and you have an issue you're dealing with, and it doesn't seem as if the event has any relationship, a causal connecting principle. That was his word. Um, it doesn't seem as if the event has any relationship to the issue you're dealing with until you deal with it metaphorically. And then suddenly all the symbols 
come come neatly into focus. And we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a moment, David, but we're going to take a quick break now. We're speaking with David Ravinas, the author of Always Dreaming, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. of the holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Matt Connerton here. Join Jen Coffee and I twice a week for Matt Connerton Unleashed, a political talk show that's a little different than what you're used to. No liberal or conservative agenda here, just an honest dialogue about truth and how things really work in the world of politics. Matt Connerton Unleashed, every Tuesday and Thursday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on Om Times Radio. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. The number one reason girls drop out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is lack of access to feminine hygiene products. The Pads for School Girls Project, an outreach of Humanity Healing International, is changing this paradigm by setting up sewing programs at schools, teaching girls a vocational skill, while producing the reusable pads that help keep them attending classes. The girls pay it forward by making and giving pad kits to other girls in need. To learn more, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Join Elliot Jolish, the business therapist, each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Elliot Jolish Hour as he interviews business experts on your behalf. And you're invited to email your business questions to questions at ecjgroup.com for answers live on air every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Elliot Jolish Hour. The cutting edge of conscious radio, Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. And we're back with our guest, David Ravinas, author of Always Dreaming, Gaining Insights from the Metaphors of Our Sleeping and Waking Lives. David, um, what is your website? My website is teacherofdreams.com, all one word. What a lovely name, teacherofdreams.com. Now, speaking of teachers of dreams, just before the break, we were um, talking about the use of the term synchronicity and, and what you had learned from Jung. Can you pick that up? Sure. Um, Jung had this experience where, well, he had several experiences, but one of the most poignant was where uh, a patient came to him and talked about every time there was a death in her family. There would be birds that would collect on the roofs of houses. Um, and she became terrified because at one point, a whole series of birds collected on the roof of her house. And there had been no, there had been no incident that she was aware of. Uh, and unfortunately, then shortly thereafter, uh, paramedics brought her husband in uh, to the house who had suffered a massive uh, cardiac arrest. And Jung was 
intrigued by this? Uh, wh- what's the connection between birds and, and uh, illness or, or death? And there isn't any. There, this is this concept that things that ought not to belong together really do belong together. And it's been my research and my findings that the two th- kinds of things don't seem to belong together until you treat them metaphorically. And then as we were talking earlier, the, the metaphors suddenly come into focus. I can give you an example of this if, if that would help. Sure. All right. Um, this was an incident that happened uh, actually quite recently uh, to a young, uh, well, uh, no, not a young man, a man in middle age uh, who, with whom I'm acquainted. Uh, and he became, and, and keep in mind, this is not while he's asleep. This is while he's awake. Uh, he became intrigued with one of the late electronic gadgets on the market, but he had questions about it. And he wanted to get clarification on these issues so that he could decide whether this was really a product for him or whether it, it wasn't really, it was just a, 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 you know, going to be a gadget that was not going to be very useful. And so he went to an electronic store. It was a weekend. It was really swamped with customers. Uh, it took a while for a clerk to uh, uh, come to him. And in the meantime, he was looking at all the people around, and there was a gentleman in a motorized wheelchair. Um, and so finally the clerk came to him, and he asked his very simple questions. And what the clerk proceeded to do was to launch into a very aggressive sales pitch, um, which made it difficult for my friend to decide whether this was uh, a a legitimate product for him or whether, again, this was uh, something that would not be useful. And while this sales pitch was going on, he suddenly felt something hit him from behind um, and even before he knew what it was, he had the presence of mind to jump out of the way and realized that it was this motorized wheelchair, which was out of control. Um, and at first he was really incensed with the, uh, the man in the wheelchair until he realized that, that the man actually was having a seizure at the time and had lost control. Um, very shortly, the man's family came to the rescue, stopped the wheelchair and um, administered some medication and things calmed down. Now, most of us would ignore something like that. Oh, that was just a fluke. Um, This friend of mine has actually spent some time working with dreams, uh, and he knew right away that something as bizarre as this incident was worthy of paying attention to. And so he started to think of metaphors, started to rather than, I mean, first, first he dealt with it literally, right? He jumped out of the way. I mean, that was, that was the way life, we think life is intended to be dealt with. But then once the danger and the, the shock of it all was over, he began to start to look at the metaphors. And the principal one, although this dream was a little bit more complicated than I'm going to explain now, um, the principal one was he said, well, I felt as if I was being run over and the image of a train uh, kept coming to him. And he said, I was being railroaded. And suddenly it occurred to him that 
This was an expression of what had been going on during the sales pitch, that he need not have any more confusion about whether the things that the sales clerk were telling him uh, were something that he needed to pay attention to. In fact, it was mostly hype. Uh, and suddenly, a confusing situation for him gained great clarity. And rather than continuing to be annoyed at the poor driver of this wheelchair, he turned around and silently thanked him for being the inform the informant of very important news and very important information to him. Mm. And he just very quietly, with a smile on his face, walked out of the store. Now, again, what's the association between wheelchairs and electronic equipment and sales pitches? There's none until you bring it to metaphoric uh, awareness. And then suddenly it all comes into into focus. And I suppose that everyone would kind of interpret it within the framework of their own range of experience. So that I, I think that's how um, these oracle cards work. When you pick up a, a message, you are relating it to your own life. Um, situation. So what about nightmares or unpleasant repetitive dreams? Well, uh, n n you can have a nightmare either while you're awake. And as, as we all know, we have incidents in our lives that turn into, we even call them by what a nightmare today was, or this incident was, we can have them while we're asleep too. N nightmares are the subconscious now trying really hard to get something across that is being ignored. Um, and I'll give another example of this if I have time. Do I, do I have time to? Uh, yeah, very quickly. Very quickly. This was a Japanese-American woman who had uh, was having uh, uh, repetitive nightmares. Um, and what the nightmare was saying, showing her was that she was trapped by a monster. And after we discussed this a bit, and as you say, brought her experience to, uh, to the metaphor that was being uh, presented to her, uh, it turned out that she, she couldn't find out who she was. Uh, she would spend her summers in Japan with her parents going to school in Japan. And then she would spend the rest of the year in the U.S. going to school here. Uh, and she, uh, to the Japanese, she wasn't really Japanese, even though she looked Japanese. And to the Americans, she sounded like an American, but she didn't look like a Caucasian American. And she had, she was, ha the turmoil, the dialogue, the conflict that was going on within herself had to do with her trying to find out who she was without all of these stereotypes that were coming at her. And this was indeed a monster in her life that she needed to deal with. Fascinating. Um, are there, is there a downside to viewing life in this fashion? The biggest downside is, well, the, the biggest one is that people ignore it um, and they miss the opportunities to, uh, to use this wealth of wisdom and knowledge that's coming their way. But almost as large as that are those who jump to wild conclusions uh, about what their dreams mean. Uh, and especially if they take them literally, and especially if there are other people who come to them as symbols in their dreams, and they then confront the individuals as if they were 
in, as if these dreams were intended to be taken at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, that's why I, I spend so much of time in, in class um, making sure that people understand that they need to see these as symbols of aspects within themselves. They need to own the symbols. And that's often a very difficult thing to do if you've had a confrontation in a dream in which you are mightily annoyed with someone you think has done you wrong. Uh, to say, no, actually, it is you yourself who are in the process of trying to tell yourself something uh, about a conflict that's going on inside yourself. You mentioned your classes. What do you teach in your classes? Well, I would say the thing that I've brought to th- these ideas, which, by the way, are not new. I mean, they're, they're ancient. Uh, Eastern philosophies have been telling us for years that you create your own universe. Um, and uh, Jung certainly knew about this, and Fritz Perls certainly knew about this, the founder of the Gestalt movement. Um, wh- what I've brought to it is a really practical method, very simple, anyone can learn it, of how to translate these metaphors. First of all, how to recognize important dreams, especially waking dreams, the ones that happen when we're awake. Um, And then how to translate the, the dream metaphor into language that we can understand or that the dreamer can understand. We spend a lot of time working on those issues and anybody can learn it. It's, you don't need four years of of psychotherapy training um, to to learn these, um, it's it's and it's actually a lots of fun. Well, it sounds like a very useful tool to have in one's arsenal of coping with the world, understanding oneself. So, um, are you? Ha- do you have any classes coming up? Um, well, are the- they online or are they uh, in person? They, they are usually in person. They're usually here in Portland, although I have done them online. Um, I was dealing with a, a group of um, uh, uh, diabetics in, in Houston, actually, online. And we had a, a six-weeks course uh, that was uh, very interesting to, to see some of the dreams that they were experiencing, especially their, their waking dreams. But yes, in answer to a remark you made earlier, this is an incredible, an invaluable tool. And the more you learn to use it, the more you rely on it and the more direction you get in your daily life, just in the practical affairs uh, of, of living. It's really wonderful. How fascinating. Well, uh, we have been speaking with uh, David Ravinus. His book is called uh, Dream, Always Dreaming, Gaining Insights from the Metaphors of Our Sleeping and Waking Lives. And David, is that available on Amazon or on your website? It's, on avail- it's, avail- it's available on Amazon for sure. You can also go to my website and find out more information about how you can get it f- directly from the publisher, Ozark Mountain Publishing. Uh, and um, and that website is teacherofdreams.com. Well, great. thank you, David, for being with us. And thank you for having me. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back with our next guest after these messages. Feed your soul. With Waves of Consciousness on Ohm Times Radio. 
Hi, my name is Monica and I'm the host of Co-Creating Now. Give yourself an opportunity to connect with your all-knowing higher self and manifest joy, love and peace together every Tuesday 11 a.m. Eastern. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Om Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Om Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive dedicated community. Have you ever wondered how to change your love paradigm? The secret key is finding a love partnership, not just a regular connection. How do you find these? Through conscious relationships. Ascending Hearts Dating is a dating site for people like you that believes in second chances and a different type of spiritual connection. Try Ascending Hearts for free today at ascendinghearts.com and change your love paradigm. Ascending Hearts, the premier dating community for the spiritually awake. Dr. Kevin here, and I want to invite you every Thursday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, to join me on the Dr. Kevin show, where we have a diversity of guests who help you step outside the box, behind the curtain, and see what a load of crap is going on in the world today. So you have more information with which to make better decisions. We'll see you there. Namaste. The real conscious connection. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back. I'm Miriam Knight and I'm speaking with Kathleen Perkins. Kathleen has a memoir called Flight Instructions: A Journey Through Guilt to Forgiveness. It's about a woman who at age 33 answered an inner call ferocious enough to wrench her from her three young children and husband of 14 years a whole new world opened to her and 40 years later she wrote of her journey in her book this story is about much more than abandonment it's about love healing inner demons forgiveness magic wands fairy dust and redemption this is the age old story of the heroine's quest for self discovery and has something for everyone so i'm delighted to welcome kathleen thank you for joining us good morning it's a pleasure to be with you marian kathleen now you know what did this inner call feel like a lot of people are having this kind of divine discontent and feeling that their life is missing out on something what was your call telling you Well, that's such a good question and I get it all the time and you know, I have to be very honest. I it is so hard to, to put it in words because I didn't understand it. I mean, you know, this was when I was a young woman, uh born and raised in Idaho, basically high school education. I mean, I just I just didn't understand the call at the time, but it obviously <laughs> Uh, was powerful in a way um i mean of course it's a long story but it it uh well, it was the best thing that could have happened for me in terms of you know self discovery spiritual quest you were very much ahead of the curve um with uh leaving the family and and going to seek your <laughs> your way in the world um this must have been around the 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 60s was it well, it was in the early 70s and it 70s. was definitely influenced by the 
feminist movement. I read Betty Friedan's book, and that's when, when a lot of this stirring was coming up for me that I didn't understand, but it just kept bringing things up for me. Well, now, these are very private issues, you know, leaving your children. What prompted you to go public with this in a book? Well, I didn't intend to. <laughs> I, I, I wrote it sort of out of desperation for that last bit of forgiveness. I had been working on it for years in therapy, and my children had forgiven me, my former husband, but I just couldn't quite get there myself, letting go of the guilt and the forgiveness. So I just started writing. It was very, it's a spiritual journey. I am uh, connected with science of mind, and it literally um, walked me through these last stages. And and it turned out to be a pretty good read. And I got some encouragement from some people who had looked at it to say, I think you should turn this into a book and get it published. What was the nature of the spiritual awakening you had? Well, I I didn't feel parented as a child, and I know that's not a unique thing, but for me, I just felt so alone. And science of mind, I, I've been in, connected with new thought for years and years, but science of mind just it became apparent to me. I started studying, I took some of the classes, and it just brought me this this sense of peace that I had never known before, and a lot of messages to help me get rid of the, the low vibrations of fear and, and lack and limitation, and... Um, but I'm devout. I mean, I study every day, and it has really, it's just, I, I just feel so different uh, having finished the book, too, as as one might imagine. Uh, my life has changed a lot in, in, in subtle ways. You know, I'm just feeling more empowered. Uh, my daughters have been wonderful. They're very supportive of what I've done, and... Um, well, I might mention that what you've done has included a master's degree in gerontology, a PhD in social work from University of Pennsylvania, studying at the London School of Economics and, and teaching on the faculty of Louisiana State University. So you've actually, um, you know, fulfilled yourself professionally. Um, so this was at its foundation, a spiritual quest. And you mentioned in the bio that you sent me something called magic wands and fairy dust. Where do they come in? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's in the book. Uh, when I started doing the forgiveness work and actually connected with my former husband and, and the girl's stepmom, uh, we had a a magical weekend together in a way. I mean, there was tears and, and uh, affirmations about forgiveness. And on my trip home, I said to myself on my drive back, I was, this was in Bend, Oregon, and I live in Portland. And I said, I'm just going to sweep up this forgiveness and turn it into fairy dust and sprinkle it along the way. Ah, and then I tie it in later when we have a family reunion and uh, put the fairy dust in the heating vents in the house and <laughs> more <laughs> magic 
fantastic happened. So I use it as a metaphor. We've just been speaking about metaphors. But forgiveness is such an important thing. And I think the, the, the wisdom teachers say that we forgive people, including ourselves, um, for ourselves. And possibly self-forgiveness is harder than forgiving other people. Would you agree? Oh, Marion, I totally and completely. I just absolutely. Because yeah. we, it's easy to, to forgive someone else and let it go. But when it's yourself, it lives inside of your head. And that's why I just needed to continue with my spiritual work to to somehow give myself permission that I was okay, you know, that I wasn't a bad person and that I did what I had to do. And, uh, yes, it's, it's a, a very tough nut to crack, but boy, it's worth it. <laughs> it's really worth it. Did you have any unusual personal experiences or revelations while you were writing this memoir? Yes, I, it was, very hard to write the parts about leaving the girls. And I would become ill, physically ill. Um, I had bouts of vertigo. Uh, my back would go out. Um, I would have heart palpitations, and I would just have to stop. And, again, pray and meditate and uh, regroup and talk to my daughters. I did read certain scenes with them as I was writing because I wanted to be sure that when I was talking about them that, uh, that I was accurate. And, and eventually those physical um, repercussions went away. But it was very, it was a teachable thing for me to, to realize that we carry these, these, things in ourselves and it's words I just you just can't say well you're forgiven you know I forgive you it has to we have to clear the cellular level and uh, take it deep inside we so often hear of people physically becoming ill you're you're lucky that it uh, was restricted to back pain and things like that but people can get about that and I agree I the only thing I can think of now and it might sound corny to some people is that God was with me that a spirit that you know some divine presence Mm. you know this is a time when we're kind of leaving the spirituality of conventional religions, but in some ways becoming much more deeply spiritual, having a much stronger connection to God or the universe or spirit or whatever you want to uh, call it. And this powerful connection can absolutely infuse our lives with with light and meaning. How has your um, how has your life changed, and in what ways do you feel that your memoir can help others better uh, understand themselves and, and their own actions? Well, that's a great question. Um, I I really believe that, that the journey inward is one of the most challenging journeys we have, and whether it's uh, forgiveness, like mine was, or if it's some other... Um, 
regret or I really believe that that we all have something that we are ashamed of or sorry we did or some transgression that we think we've made. And uh, working through that, it takes perseverance, I can tell you that, and it takes a lot of of guts. I mean, I was I lived in shame for a long time about this too, even though I didn't keep it a secret. Uh, I felt, you know, and that was, you're right. It was the times it was in the seventies and it's just, women just didn't do this. They just didn't leave their families. And of course my husband didn't understand at the time. And so, um, for me, the inner journey was seemed to be the only way. Mm. You know, in, in my book, um, what wags the world, uh, there's a, a quote from one of the profiles in there um, who had this awakening experience herself, an awakening experience. And what she realized was that there is no wrong way to do life. That oh, was, I love that. That yeah. was the, the profound message. And we have to understand that each of us is trying our best at any given time. We're not setting out to screw up our lives. We're setting out to do our best. So give yourselves a break, people. And read Kathleen Perkins's memoir, Flight Instructions, A Journey Through Guilt to Forgiveness. Kathleen, what is your website? It's... Um Kathleen Perkins, PhD.com? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have a crib sheet. (laughs) Very good. And do you have a message to leave with our listeners? Yes. Take that journey within. It's well worth the ride. And the tears that might be involved in the process, because there's laughter at the end. And joy. Very good. Laughter and joy is what it's all about, isn't it? It truly is a uh, magical wand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an interesting life, and and you've given us a a really interesting book through through your own journey. So I'm, I'm so glad you were with us. And listeners, please stay with us. We'll be back with our final guest of the day. Thank you. Bye. of internet radio is here ohm times radio iom fm hi this is angela levesque host of entanglement radio join me wednesdays at 12 p.m eastern for inspiring conversations with visionaries in spiritual science and conscious healing entanglement radio wednesdays at 12 p.m eastern transcendent talk for the conscious mind Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. 
the Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Hello, I'm Miriam Knight of New Consciousness Review, inviting you to my new show where I interview the rising stars of the Conscious Awakening. We'll explore the many faces of consciousness and action and intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Rising Stars Show. Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Well, we're back. That was kind of fun hearing my own promo. <laughs> anyway, we're back with our next guest, June Lundgren. June is a psychic medium, nurse, healer, and author. She comes from a long line of women with psychic and spiritual gifts. Over the last 30 years, she has had many conversations with those on the other side. June gathered the information from these conversations for her book, A Medium's Guide to the Paranormal. June has had many paranormal experiences in the course of her life, some of which she describes in her two-volume series called Paranormal Encounters. Raised by her maternal grandmother, who was a clairvoyant, June has communicated with animals and angels since childhood. She likes to recall her grandmother's advice to always keep an open mind, question everything, and never take anything for granted. There is more within this world and the next than either you or I can know. Sage advice indeed. Welcome, June. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted to to get a little um, extra-dimensional edge to this show. So tell me what about your work? Do you feel that you were called to be a medium in this lifetime? Yes, um, I feel I was called to be a medium and a healer in this lifetime. And hence, I'm a nurse. So I've really taken it both spiritually and in the physical world. You were trained in the military in medicine. Is that true? Yes. I uh, got my licensed practical nurse degree in the Army, and I was also have my OR tech, which is operating room tech, and also an EMT. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I've spoken to a lot of people, doctors in particular, who have had very uh, interesting paranormal experiences in the OR. That seems to be a place where there's a lot of activity going on. Did Have you experienced anything there? Yes. Every time someone would die, I think it's been a total of five times in the times I was working in the OR, uh, that people would die and be standing there watching the surgery going on and people trying to get them back. It was quite interesting because I speak with them telepathically and I tell them, you know, that they need to go back into their body, that that it was not time for them to leave yet. I'm always given the uh, information whether it's time for them to go or time to stay. Fortunately, all the ones that I've encountered in the emergency, in the OR, have been able to stay. 
Well, as a medium, uh, I guess sometimes you have to deal with people whose time actually has come and get confused about not wanting to go on. Uh, how do you deal with them? What I do is I let them know that this was indeed their time to cross and that they had loved ones waiting for them. All they have to do is to look for a small light, just even if it's a pinpoint of light. And I tell them to focus on the light and then walk towards the light. The, the light will get bigger as they go towards it and they'll be able to be with their loved ones there. And, that's, and that's nine enough. times out of ten, it works. Great. So did you have to learn techniques on how to connect with the other side? Not really, because I was doing it naturally from the time I was a child, young child on. My grandmother just helped me to uh, differentiate between the good ones versus the bad ones. And to that there's a time, you know, there are boundaries and that they need not to bother you when you're doing something important like schoolwork or work. And so she taught me how to close myself off when I needed to. Mm -hmm. You talk about the bad ones. Um, uh, are there a lot of them around? And, and how, how do you deal with them? And, and how do you get them off people? Really, not. there's not as many as people would think. A lot of people think if they encounter an earthbound spirit or a ghost that you know they that they're all bad but they're not a lot of times it's just people wanting help they don't know what's happened to them they don't know how to go about crossing uh they have a message to give nine times out of ten that's what it is i do i do demonic removal and the only reason i do that is because god told me he says this is part of what you're to do in this lifetime so I do that work for God, and I never charge anything for it. How do you actually remove remove an entity? I, I remove an entity. First, when I make contact with the individual, I get the sense that, that whether it's earthbound negative or whether it's non-human negative. And once I have that, then I actually bring Michael and Gabriel with me, the archangels. And I go in and I do it all telepathically. And it's if you could see what I see, I see Michael and Gabriel grabbing hold of the demon on one side, each on one side, and then they pull them down. And that's the last I see of them. Hmm. Those archangels are really busy people, um, uh, <laughs> except that obviously they're not people. They're they're right. uh, universal energies, archetypal right. energies. Um, so you you're also a healer. Uh, how does your healing express itself? Um, some people will, will call it. Some people call it the laying on of hands. I was going through a tough time after the birth of my son. And uh, I asked God for help, and, you know, my abilities were amplified like ten times what they were before. And he says, I, you know, my grandmother always told me, try the spirits. Make sure they aren't, some, they are who they say they are. And I, when I spoke, the first time I spoke to God, I said, 
I want you to prove to me that you are who you say you are. And he says, I will prove it to you. I will give you the gift of healing. And then suddenly my body started going hot and cold and it started vibrating. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up on the floor and he says, you now have the gift of healing. He said, you lay, you lay your hands on the person and I will fill you with my light and my power and it will go through you and out your hands and into the person. So I'm just the conduit. I'm not the healer per se. I, uh, I'm like the physical go-between. Do you do remote healing as well? Distance yes, healing? I do. Uh-huh. How do you think that works? Um, it actually works pretty well. It's not as quick as if I can get to you and lay my hands on you. It does work. It just takes a little longer. What would normally take one healing may take two or three healings. I see. But people report back to me, you know, their improvements, if they're having any side effects. You know, I and I encourage people to keep a log so they know, you know, what how they were before the healing started. And then once a week, they will, you know, write down what improvements there have been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're physical people. We need to see, physically see that there's improvement. Now, you came from a long line of, of women with these psychic gifts, uh, Scottish, Irish, and American Indian yeah. uh, seem to be the ones that I hear about most, as well as gypsy. And is, is there something in these cultural traditions that predisposes to these gifts, do you think? I really think there is because they're, um, each one of these are really connected to the earth, you know, and the spirits of nature. And um, I've traced our family tree back to the 1600s on the Irish side and Scottish side. So, you know, and the Celtic people are very, you know, spiritual. They believe in more earth spirits and nature. And so do the, the Scots do too, as well as, of course, the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, they do say that everyone potentially has psychic gifts. Um, do you believe that they can be cultivated by anyone? Oh, yes. It's just, it's a matter of um, due diligence. You know, if you want to increase your gifts, you need to use them. You need to practice them. Even if it's only on your family or your dogs or or friends, you know, anything like that. But you need to use it all the time. The more you use it, the more you practice like anything, the better you become. You say that you're a conduit for God's energy. Do you think it would be a fair characterization to say to to say that that is the same as God's love? Yes, because it's whenever it passes through me, I don't lo- only feel his power and his healing, I I feel his love. So, it, the love in itself is a healing emotion. As any child who has ever been comforted by a mother or really any person who's been comforted by a friend can attest firsthand. Yes, definitely. So tell us about um, your your book. Uh, what was your hope for it? Uh, Medium's Guide to the Paranormal was the one that God encouraged me to write. 
he said, I want you to write a book. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> and he says, I want you to let people know that I do hear them. But what they want is not always what they need. He says, I need you to write a book and talk about your experience and what's happened to you. Plus, give people a little bit of information, basic information, about several different topics. And the first book covers a wide variety of topics. The second one, which is going to be called well, uh, Through the Veil, also covers topics. You know, we're at the end of our show. That went ah. fast. Gosh, we've been talking with June Lundgren about A Medium's Guide to the Paranormal. And her website is mysticconnections.org. I'm Miriam Knight. I hope you join me next week for more rising stars of the new consciousness. Shine brightly, dear friends. We need your light in the world.